all you have. You are now tuned in to Marcus Rays. You just sat back and ready to play. Let me take your thoughts far, far away. Now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello there, my fantastic Far Far Away family. It's Kyle, back on the mic. And I've got a quick question. Have you ever felt more excited than a droid in an oil bath? Because that's me right now, hosting the galaxy's most exciting Star Wars show, Star Wars Audio Archives. Time really flies when you're having fun, or in hyperspace. But here we are, at the very last part of this amazing saga. Through space chases, questionable cantina choices, and the hair-raising moments of our favorite characters. What a ride it's been. Huge shout out and a Wookiee hug to everyone that has joined us on this wild ride. But hang on to your lightsabers. We're not done yet. We have got one more thrilling ride across the Star Wars Old Republic. And I promise it's going to be exhilarating as a pie race on Tatooine. Are you ready for the last part of Annihilation? Then let's get to it. Theron ran back and forth along the engine room's narrow walkways, racing from relay to relay as he uploaded his virus subroutines. The first few worked perfectly sending the spear's shots wide, dropping the shields and disabling the sensors. Then Carrot had figured it out. He tried desperately to find new vulnerabilities to exploit, but each time he did, it only took two or three seconds for her to counteract his efforts. Still plugged into the ship's comm system and scanners, he heard her send security down to the engine room, and he let out a strangled cry of frustration when she destroyed the hammerhead. Ugh, she's too good, too fast, too smart. This isn't going to work. But she was also in the middle of fighting an entire Republic fleet. Her focus was on weapons and shields, sensors and communications, all the things the spear needed to survive the battle. She still hadn't realized that he disabled the turbolifts leading down to G-Deck to buy himself more time. She's on G-Deck too, the far side. If he couldn't stop Carrot remotely by slicing into the spear systems, maybe he could stop her face to face. After all, he'd stopped Darth Mechus. That was different. You caught her off guard, tricked her. Carrot's going to be ready, and she might not be alone. You're going to need help. Even if Carrot didn't realize he'd knocked out the turbolifts, he only had a couple more minutes before the ship's automated repair systems got them working again. He'd have to work fast. Grabbing his slicer spike, he tapped into the relay controlling Nostaral's holding cell. Carrot was still focused on protecting the critical battle systems, and he was able to worm his way inside. Nostaral had spent the hours since Darth Carrot's last visit in quiet, reflective meditation. As per the Sith Lord's instructions, the interrogators had spared him more torture with Mechus's infernal machine. The respite had allowed the Jedi to calm and focus his mind subtly drawing on the Force to refresh and restore his ravaged body and spirit. The power of the dark side all around him was impossible to ignore. It seeped from the very walls of the Ascendant Spear, a twisted creation of a brilliant but diseased mind. Yet even here, surrounded by darkness, the power of the light shone through. The Force flowed through all living things, and there were several thousand crew on the ship. Most of them were ordinary men and women, soldiers for the Empire because of birth and upbringing, not because of some inherent evil. Careful not to do anything that might draw the attention of the pure-blooded apprentice he sensed in the room with him, Nostaral drew upon the Force to grant him a picture of his surroundings. The first thing he sensed was the battle raging outside the ship. 
The Republic fleet had come to Duro, but it didn't take him long to realize they were overmatched, and he knew if he didn't do something, the battle would be lost. He turned his heightened perception inward, allowing him to construct a highly detailed picture of his holding cell. The interrogators were seated in chairs on the far side of the medium-sized room, next to the panel that could unleash unbearable horrors on their prisoner with a simple touch of a button. They were both male, and both carried pistols at their sides. His protective goggles, Jedi robe, and other clothes had been discarded in the back corner of the room, tossed aside once he had been stripped down and strapped to the table. In the opposite corner of the room was the Sith apprentice, sitting cross-legged on the floor. She was turning the hilt of a lightsaber over and over in her hands, as if somehow drawn to it. Nosteral recognized the weapon he had forged while still a Padawan on Coruscant. She had witnessed his lightsaber skills during their battle. Now it seemed she was intent on finding some explanation in his weapon. Nosteral sensed and sympathized with her confusion. She had been raised to believe the power of the dark side dwarfed that of the light, and she was unable to convince herself that a Jedi could so easily have bested her in combat without some kind of inherent advantage. I could teach you how to use that. Startled, she glanced up at the prisoner, taking a moment to realize he was drawing on the Force to see her. I know how to use a lightsaber, she said defensively. I could teach you how to use it properly. Not as a clumsy weapon guarded by hate and anger, but as an extension of yourself that protects and defends those in need. The interrogators glanced over, their curiosity piqued by the exchange. Noticing them, the Sith stood up, suddenly self-conscious about sitting on the floor as if subservient to them. Carid warned me to watch for your tricks. This is no trick. Carid is afraid of me. You sensed it. But I am not afraid of her. Because you are stronger? She sneered. Because the light teaches us not to be afraid. Don't you want to live free of fear and anger and hate? For a second, Nosteral felt a connection with her, and he thought he might reach her. Then a wall of blackness fell between them, and the connection was gone. Your friends are dying out there, she said, her voice filled with spite and venom. Can you feel it? Darth Karen and her ship are tearing them apart. I should be at her side for this victory, to share in the glory. But instead, I'm here watching over you. Then go. I'm not the one keeping you. One of the interrogators laughed, and the Sith silenced him with an icy glare. I don't need you or your weapon, she said to Nosteral, tossing his lightsaber into the corner of the room with the rest of his discarded property. Then she crossed her arms and stood with her back to the door, staring at him defiantly. The Jedi sighed, knowing the opportunity was lost. But before Hope could slip away completely, the shackles on his wrists and ankles sprang open with a sharp click, dropping him to the floor. Varen, he thought. Nosteral reacted with the superior reflexes and blinding speed of a true Jedi Master, already in motion before the others even realized something had gone wrong. He landed on his feet, his lightsaber flying from the corner and into the outstretched palm of his right hand. The blade springing to life with a sharp hiss. 
At the same time, his protective goggles flew up into his left hand and he yanked them into place. One of the interrogators slammed his hand on the button to activate the machine, but with the prisoner already free of his restraints, nothing happened. His partner reacted with more sense, pulling his pistol. Darth Carrot's apprentice made the wisest choice of all. She turned and fled out the door. The guard with the pistol fired, but Nostaral batted the blaster bolt aside. He saw the second guard reaching forward to hit the alarm and knocked him back with a powerful force push. Two quick steps closed the distance between them in the small room, and he ended both their lives with a pair of clean, efficient cuts of his glowing blade. Then he raced from the room in pursuit of Karen's apprentice, ignoring his Jedi robe and clothes still lying in the back corner of the room. He saw her disappear around a corner at the end of a 20-meter hall, and he gave chase. She was waiting for him as he rounded the corner, her own lightsaber drawn. She tried to impale him, hoping his momentum as he came barreling around the corner would carry him right onto the deadly tip of her outstretched blade. But Nostaral twisted to the side. Her thrust only traced a thin line across the topmost layer of skin of his bared chest. Ignoring the smell of his own charred flesh, he retaliated by driving an elbow into the Sith's jaw, sending her stumbling back. She threw up her lightsaber in a defensive stance to hold him off. But one-on-one, she was no match for the Keldor. He came at her with a flurry of intense strikes drawn from Juyo, the highly aggressive seventh form of lightsaber combat designed specifically to overwhelm a lone opponent in a one-on-one duel. The chaotic patterns and haphazard sequences picked apart the Sith's defenses in a matter of seconds. The battle ending with Master Nostaral plunging his lightsaber through her chest and out the other side, impaling her as she had originally tried to do to him. As her corpse toppled to the floor, Nostaral was already on the move, headed directly for the spear's control room to face Darth Karad yet again. Theron had no idea if his plot to free Nostaral had worked or not. Just as he finished slicing into the holding cell systems and released the Jedi's restraints, Darth Carrot shut him out, rerouting the pathway through another relay. Realizing she would soon do the same with the turbo lift, he decided to get moving or end up trapped in the engine room. Grabbing his slicer spike and tucking it into the top of his boot, he dashed over to the captain's uniform he'd carefully folded and set on the floor. He considered, then quickly rejected the idea of spending the time to pull it on. A stolen uniform wasn't going to fool the security teams converging on his location. Grabbing the pistol with the bent barrel just in case, he turned the wheel and pushed open the maintenance hatch. The corridor outside was blessedly cool. He actually shivered as the climate-controlled air washed over his sweat-soaked body. The sound of the nearby turbo lift as it cranked into operation set him in motion. He had reached the first bend in the passage leading to the far side of G-Deck when he heard the door open. Glancing back, he saw several heavily armored security guards step out. Fortunately, it took them a moment to notice the man in his briefs running away from them at the far end of the hall. Theron had just enough time to dart around the corner as blaster bolts struck the ground and wall beside him, missing him by the narrowest of margins. Theron didn't think he'd have any trouble staying ahead of the imps in their heavy armor. But after half a dozen more running steps, he pulled up lame and cried out in pain, hopping on one foot as his left calf seized. Despite his efforts to stay hydrated during his time in the sweltering engine room, his body was rebelling. The muscle had cramped up, a brutal contraction so tight it felt as if it was going to rip itself apart. 
Any movement of his toes or ankle caused bolts of fire to shoot up through his body, and trying to put any weight on it almost made him pass out. Suddenly, the soldiers in the armor didn't seem that slow. Bracing himself with his left hand against the wall, he hopped down the corridor on his good foot, teeth clenched against the agony emanating from his knotted muscle. He heard the heavy footsteps of his pursuers closing in, and he half-turned to fire off three quick shots back down the hall. He didn't bother to aim. His blaster's warped barrel would have made it impossible to guess where the bolts were headed. All he wanted to do was send a warning to his pursuers, hopefully slowing them down. The pistol made strange sounds as he fired. Instead of the familiar sharp reverberating twang, the shot sounded almost wet, with a lower pitch. With the bolts impeded by the warped barrel, the blaster's power pack wasn't able to fully discharge the intense energy buildup generated with each shot. He could feel the heat radiating out from the power pack on his hand, and he knew he couldn't keep shooting without risking a power pack overload and a deadly explosion of superheated gas. On the bright side, the cramp was fading as he rounded another corner, and he was able to carefully put weight on his left foot again, though he still wasn't able to run at full speed. He pressed onward, hobbling along, and hoping the security team behind him was the only one he had to worry about. If there was another team coming down the lift near Carrod's command chamber, he'd be trapped between them with no hope of escape. To his relief, when he rounded the final turn, he saw the long corridor leading to the entrance of the command chamber stretched out before him, totally empty. He shambled down the hall. But just as he passed the turbo lift, the door flew open. Theron tried to wheel around and deliver a spinning kick to the first guard coming through the door. But as he planted his left leg and tried to push off for leverage, the calf seized up again. His leg caved beneath him, and instead of pulling off a dazzling martial arts move that left his opponent incapacitated, he ended up in a sweaty pile on the floor. Theron, a familiar voice said and he looked up to see Nostaral standing over him, lightsaber in hand. Thought you were another security patrol, Theron grunted through the pain as the Jedi extended a hand to help him up. I ran into them on my way to the lift. Why are you in your underwear? Didn't want you to feel awkward, Theron said, nodding at the Keldor's own near nakedness as he leaned on him for support. He stepped gingerly on his cramping leg and winced in pain. Before the Jedi could ask about it, a pair of guards from the pursuing security patrol poked their heads around the corner and fired. The Jedi stepped in front of Theron and batted away the blaster bolts before using the force to hurl the guards back around the corner. From the grunts and the groans, it was clear they had slammed into the other members of the team hard enough to inflict real damage. Come on, Nostaral said, using one hand to help hold Theron upright, while the other kept a firm grip on his lightsaber. Together, they staggered the last 20 meters to the sealed door ahead of them. Theron dropped to a knee to relieve the pressure on his injured leg, pulled the slicer spike from his boot, and set to work on the door. At the same time, Nostaral hurled his lightsaber down the hall, striking down a guard who dared to peek around the corner. I can't hold them off forever, Theron, and reinforcements are on the way. As if summoned by his words, the turbolift door slid open again, spilling out another half-dozen armored Imperial soldiers. Got it, Theron said, yanking his spike free and crawling forward on his hands and knees as the door slid open. Nostaral was right behind him, and as the guards in the hall opened fire, the two men rolled for cover on either side of the door's interior. 
but the bolts ricocheting off the floor. The Jedi reached up and jammed his lightsaber into the access panel on the wall, sending off a shower of sparks as the door slammed shut. To Theron's surprise, the room was empty except for a control panel along the periphery, a large, opaque crystal sphere in the center, and three figures with facial tattoos and black robes sitting cross-legged on the floor around the sphere. Two were human males, one younger with white skin, the other older with dark skin. The third was a male red-skinned Sith pureblood. Their eyes were closed, and they appeared to be lost in deep meditation. Nostaral sprang to his feet and hurled his lightsaber, but he wasn't aiming at any of the figures on the floor. The whirling blade flew over their heads and ricocheted off the crystal sphere before returning to the Jedi's hand, leaving no mark on the surface. Simultaneously, the eyes of all three figures on the floor snapped open, and they sprang to their feet, their weapons flaring to life. Instead of conventional weapons, the Sith held a pair of slightly shorter purple blades, one in each hand, while the dark-skinned man wielded a long, double-bladed lightsaber that seemed to shift between crimson and black. I see you've got some new friends, Nostaral said to the apprentice he had faced before. When he didn't reply, the Jedi said to Theron, Let me deal with them. You find a way to get inside Karen's command pod and stop her from destroying the Republic fleet. Darth Karad had to admire the Republic fleet commander. Realizing they couldn't exchange blows with the Ascendant Spear, they'd switched tactics scattering to harry her from a distance while employing a series of hit-and-run attacks and feints to frustrate her and extend the battle. The defensive strategy gave them no hope of inflicting any actual damage against the spear, but it prevented Karen from wiping them all out in a single glorious attack. Instead, she was forced to hunt down each ship one by one. She began with one of the capital ships, turning the spear on an intercept course as her target used a series of random and unexpected changes of direction to try to evade her. The other vessels in the Republic fleet tried to distract her from her goal, firing at her flanks while keeping to what seemed a safe distance. But with the spear, there was no safe distance. Even as she closed on the first capital ship, choosing one of the three at random, she was able to target one of the corvettes swooping in on her starboard side. The spear's guns roared as the corvette tried to veer off at the last second, but the ion cannons were able to penetrate the shields, ravaging the hull and knocking out all power other than emergency life support. Instead of changing course to finish off the now helpless corvette, Carrot continued to bear down on the capital ship, relentlessly pursuing it as she hammered away with her lasers, rapidly draining what remained of their shields in preparation for the coup de grace. The two other capital ships converged on her, guns blazing. Even the spears deflectors couldn't hold up for long against their coordinated assault, and Carrot was forced to break off from her original prey, but not before unleashing a final volley that crippled the engines. She changed course and accelerated, circling up and away from the other two capital ships before coming around to face them. The vessels wisely broke off in opposite directions, so she chose one at random and resumed her pursuit, knowing this one wouldn't be saved by an untimely intervention of the others, not with one of them forced to limp along at a fraction of its top speed. Before she could engage the second capital ship, however, she felt a sudden drop in power, and the spear slowed noticeably. It took her a moment to recognize what had happened, 
And then she realized she could no longer sense Kaux or Dees and her apprentice. Something had broken them out of their meditative trance, forcing Carrot to rely only on her own power to control the vessel. Briefly turning her focus from the battlefield to her immediate surroundings, she sensed a battle raging in the command chamber outside of her impervious crystal sphere. Nostaral had escaped and come for her. Carrot returned her attention to the battle, confident her new followers would be more than a match for the Jedi. And though it was more difficult trying to control the spear alone, she had done it before. At the same time, she sensed another intrusion attempt from the saboteur, this one coming from the control console outside her command pod. She batted away the clumsy attempt, knowing he would try again. One more distraction to further slow her down. Though it would now take longer to finish off the Republic fleet, Carrot knew that victory was still inevitable. Jace had tasted defeat before, but never as bitter as this. Though the battle would drag on, he already knew it was over. Republic casualties were mounting. He'd lost several support vessels, and one of his capital ships was barely mobile. Now Carrot was coming after the Aegis. The spear was closing in on them, though more slowly than before. He didn't know if Carrot was being cautious, or if she was merely toying with them. But it didn't matter. Her ship was still too fast and maneuverable for them to outrun. And with only one capital ship still able to come to his aid, there wouldn't be enough of a threat to force her to break off her attack. Enemy coming in range, the helmsman noted. Jace realized he meant they were now in the spear's range. They were still too far away for the Aegis to fight back. Divert all available power to the deflectors, he said, knowing it would only buy them a few more minutes. Shut down everything except life support and sensors, even the weapon systems. The bridge suddenly went dark, lit only by the glow of the screens. Going to end that? Tepid asked from somewhere in the blackness. Very bad, Jace answered. Nostaral rushed his three opponents, hoping to put a quick end to the battle. His blade flicked and danced as his body went into a series of spins and leaps. Karen's apprentice, the one he'd fought before, retreated. But the two newcomers met his assault head-on, driving him back with their aggressive counterattacks. Realizing he wasn't just facing raw apprentices this time, the Jedi switched back to a more defensive strategy as his enemies pressed forward. The Sith's twin purple blades came at him from all angles. A high slash from the right, a low cut from the left, a pair of diagonal chops. The human's massive double-bladed lightsaber was more direct, crashing down in a repetitive series of overhand strikes as he tried to bludgeon his way through Nostaral's guard. The Jedi Master met and repelled each and every attack, holding his ground behind a near-impenetrable wall of defense. Even with the apprentice joining the fray, he didn't waver. The Cerisu style, when performed perfectly, could keep numerous attackers with a variety of styles at bay indefinitely. Or at least until exhaustion and fatigue forced Nostaral to make a mistake. That was the great drawback of Cerisu. It demanded a passive role. It could delay defeat, but it couldn't bring victory. And at three against one, his enemies would not need long to wear him down. Fortunately, despite the impressive individual skill possessed by two of his three opponents, his foes were not attacking him as a group. They lacked unity of purpose. 
They didn't time or coordinate their attacks, occasionally even getting in one another's way. Nosteral was able to exploit this single flaw to his advantage, drawing both of his more skilled opponents in at the same time by dipping his right shoulder and letting his blade slip a fraction too far forward as he parried one of his third foe's clumsy thrusts. Both seized the chance to come at him hard, looking to exploit the perceived vulnerability, allowing Nosteral to spin quickly away in the opposite direction. Suddenly bereft of their shared target, the two Sith were forced to pull back and abort their attacks to keep from getting tangled up with each other, momentarily leaving the apprentice at Nosteral's mercy. He wasted no time in disposing of his lesser opponent. The apprentice blocked two overhand strikes, but then overreached when the Keldor fainted a third, leaving himself vulnerable down low. The Jedi turned his wrist and spun to his left, reversing the direction of his blade too quickly for the apprentice to recover, and removed him from the battle with a deep slash across the midsection that nearly severed the young man in two. The entire sequence had taken less than a second, but even so, Nosteral barely turned back in time to ward off the next wave of attacks from the two more dangerous warriors. Once again, he fell into the precise, efficient moves of Sarisu to battle them to a standstill but he could already feel fatigue creeping in, the intensity of the combat wearing him down, despite the sustaining power of the Force. Theron worked furiously at the command console along the edge of the room, knowing his slicer spike wouldn't last much longer before burning out. He'd overclocked to 150% capacity as he burrowed into the digital labyrinth, looking for a way to get inside Carrot's invulnerable crystal sphere. This was different from slicing the relays in the engine room. The console was linked directly to Carrot's command pod, an emergency override her apprentices could use to get her out if something ever went wrong, say, if the vessel suffered major damage while she was at the controls, leaving her comatose and trapped inside the crystal sphere. But every time Theron tried to activate the emergency override, Carrot thwarted his efforts. She wasn't three steps ahead of him this time. Without the support of her meditating followers, she had slowed down to Theron's level. But she had home field advantage. She knew the inner workings of her ship better than he ever would. Theron kept trying, waging digital war with her, painfully aware that time was running out. Nosteral couldn't hold off her lightsaber-wielding bodyguards much longer. The security personnel in the hall were using a plasma torch to carve through the disabled door. And outside, the spear was picking off the Republic's ships one by one. He cursed as Carrot booted him from the system, forcing him to start all over. Shields down to 10%, the helmsman said, as another volley slammed into the Aegis, causing it to buck and heave. Jace knew they'd already taken heavy damage. The only reason the alarms weren't blaring through the ship was because he diverted power from the emergency response systems to the deflectors. With their shields down to critical levels, one more hit was all it would take to finish them off. I'm sorry, Chase, Satil said, emerging from the darkness to place a hand on his shoulder. He reached up and covered her hand with his thick, calloused fingers. At least we fought the good fight, he replied squeezing Satil's hand as they braced for the end. Theron realized what he was doing wrong. He was trying to gain control of the pod's emergency override, basically trying to pull control of a vital system out of Carrot's grasp. But he didn't need to control the emergency override to trigger it. 
Instead of trying to take control of the system, he flooded it with a rush of false data. Critical damage reports from all sectors of the vessel poured in. The catastrophic failure of the entire ship setting off the emergency evacuation alarms. At the same time, he heard a loud hiss as the airtight crystal sphere popped open. Darth Karen was seated in a chair in the middle, surrounded by a writhing mass of loose, dangling wires that only seconds before had linked her to the ship. Faline's eyes went wide, and she screamed as the connection was broken. A keening wail of loss and suffering. Seeing Theron, she rose from her seat, pulled her lightsaber, and slowly advanced on him with murder in her eyes. Status report! Moff Lorman shouted as the evacuation alarms rang out on the bridge of the Ascendant Spear. Has to be a system malfunction, sir, one of the crew said. According to this, we're all dead. Darth Carrot has relinquished control of the vessel, someone else informed him. The Moff hesitated, knowing his next decision could forever alter the course of his career and possibly cost him his life. Darth Carrot had never turned control of the spear over to him during battle. Not once. If she was incapacitated, then he clearly needed to step in. But it was hard to imagine how something like that could have happened. What if she hadn't relinquished control? What if this was just another malfunction, or some kind of ploy to trick the Republic? If he tried to take control of the ship against her wishes, she'd have him skinned alive. Sir, do you want to take command? No, he said. Not yet. Not until we know what's going on. In the darkness that enveloped the bridge of the Aegis, every second spent waiting for the spear's final attack felt like an eternity. Satil had turned her hand on Jace's shoulder so she could grip him more tightly. Jace felt her squeezing as hard as she could. He didn't mind. At least in their final moments, they had each other. Several more eternities ticked by. Then Tefeth said, Not dead yet. No, Jace thought. But we should be. Unless... This is our chance. Transfer all power to the forward guns. All ships, fire at will! Fire at will! As the Ascendant Spear heaved and shook under the relentless Republic assault, Moff Lorman realized the alarms ringing out were no longer due to a malfunction in the system. His reluctance to take command of the Spear had left it vulnerable and the Republic fleet had seized the moment. All around him, people were shouting, relaying damage reports from all decks. He had no idea if Darth Carrot was still alive, but he wasn't going to hesitate a second time. Abandon ship! He shouted, thumbing the button to transmit his orders to the entire crew. By order of Moff Lorman, abandon ship! Then he jumped from his chair and joined the rush of men and women racing from the bridge toward the nearest escape pods. In all her years learning the ways of the dark side, Kirit had never felt a rage like this. The alarms pealing through the ship only added to her fury. To her, they were like the cries of her own child. The worm crawling away from her in his underwear had caused this. The maggot had violated her ship, his intrusion corrupting the spear. He had befouled Darth Megas's perfect creation. He had torn her away from her second self, severing the bond that made her whole. 
for that. She wasn't just going to kill him. She wasn't even going to capture him and strap him to the interrogation machine. She was going to hack him apart piece by piece, listening to him scream and beg for mercy as she hewed off his limbs one by one before gutting him and leaving him writhing in agony on the floor. Theron didn't bother calling out to Nostaral for help as Karen slowly advanced on him. The Jedi already had his hands full. He didn't try to reason with his assailant, either. He could see the madness in her eyes. She threw her lightsaber, and Darren rolled out of the way, grabbing his damaged blaster from where it rested on the floor beside him as he did so. The blade cleaved the control panel he'd used to slice into the spear and force her from her pod, and he realized she hadn't been aiming at him. She was just destroying the thing he'd used against her. The lightsaber flew back to her hand, and she turned to Theron, who was still lying on the floor. He raised his blaster and pointed it at her, a hollow gesture considering he couldn't fire it again without causing the overloaded power pack to explode. She took another step forward, raising her blade to hurl it again, and this time Theron knew he was going to be the target. Just as the blade was released from her hand, the entire ship was rocked, knocking Karen off balance and disrupting her aim by a few precious centimeters. The deadly blade carved a furrow in the floor just beside Theron's right hand. The room shook again, and Theron heard the distant sound of an explosion, audible even over the clanging alarms. It was followed quickly by several more detonations, and the entire vessel began to shake and shudder as the Republic fleet rained fire down upon them. Karen screamed and wheeled away from Theron, racing back to her command pod so she could retake control and save her precious ship. She threw herself into the seat, the dangling wires coming to life, their tips burrowing into the implants of her flesh. Theron squeezed the trigger on his defective blaster. No bolts came out, but the power pack shrieked and squealed in protest. He hurled the blaster in Karen's direction. It landed short and skittered across the floor, sliding up against the base of her command chair as the two halves of the sphere snapped shut. Even through the impervious crystal, the explosion was loud enough to make his ears ring. It was impossible to see through the opaque crystal to witness the gruesome carnage inside, but Theron didn't necessarily think that was a bad thing. As much as he wanted to defeat Darth Carrot, he had no desire to see her splattered all over the command pod's walls. But though their master was dead, her apprentices fought on. Master Nostaral saw Darth Carrot leave her pod and head toward Theron, but he wasn't able to break away from his duel with the two Sith Lords. As fatigue had whittled away the Jedi's speed and concentration, he'd stopped being able to stand his ground. The relentless pressure of his opponents had slowly driven him backward until they had him against the wall. Despite what was happening all around them, their battle had raged on unabated. With single-minded focus, his enemies ignored the alarms as they began to ring out. The explosions that rocked the ship and made the entire room shake had given them no pause. But the blast from inside Carrot's command pod was so near and so loud, it actually snapped the attention of all three combatants away from their duel. Over the loudspeaker, a voice rose above the alarms, giving the order to abandon ship. Nostaral knew the Imperial soldiers outside trying to cut through the door would heed the call, but he wasn't so sure about the two Sith in the room. 
You can stay and finish me off as this ship crumbles around us. Or we can call this a draw and make a break for the escape pods. The pureblood raised his purple blades as if ready to continue the fight. But he quickly changed his mind when his partner turned and raced toward the exit. A powerful blast of the force sent the jammed door panel hurtling out into the now empty hall beyond. A second later, they were gone, disappearing down the hall. Another explosion caused the spear to start listing over to its side. The artificial gravity system should have reacted and automatically recalibrated themselves, but the damage inflicted by the Republic fleet must have been too great. And suddenly Nostaral found himself slipping down the tilted floor. He slid out the door and into the corridor, joined a second later by Theron. The Jedi Master used the Force to keep himself from slamming into the wall. The SIS agent wasn't so lucky. I think we've overstayed our welcome, Theron said. Lead the way. The ship slowly continued to tip, and soon the side wall served as their floor. They reached the turbo lift without seeing any sign of the two Sith Lords, or any of the soldiers they had run into earlier. Looks like we're the last ones at the party, Theron said as the lift doors opened, and they awkwardly crawled inside. Better remember to turn out the lights. I think the Republic is doing that for us, the Jedi answered, as another series of explosions capsized the spear completely, and the turbo lift shuddered to a halt. From on board the bridge of the Aegis, Jace watched the mass exodus of nearly a thousand escape pods as the Imperials fled the Ascendant Spear. By his order, the fleet was still firing on Karen's ship. He thought about calling off the assault. He had no idea if his son and Master Nostaral were still aboard. But the risk of a final retaliation, even as the vessel lay dying, was too great. As Supreme Commander of the Republic Forces, he couldn't jeopardize the lives of everyone aboard the ships under his command for the sake of a single person. Not even his own son. He tried to reassure himself by arguing that he didn't actually have any proof Theron had been on the ship during the battle. But given everything that had taken place, it was likely. Hopefully he had some way of getting off alive. Though from what he knew of his son, not having a pre-planned evacuation strategy wouldn't have stopped him. The escape pods continued to deploy, shooting off in a hundred different directions. It would be impossible to track them all down, though it wouldn't be hard to turn the guns of the fleet against them and wipe virtually all of them out. Just letting them all go? Tefeth asked. What do you care? Jay snapped. Don't, the Twilik said with a shrug. You're surprised. Don't you hate it, imps? Lacking hyperdrives, the range of the pods was limited. Most would end up landing on Duro's orbital cities, where authorities would take them into custody. Some would head in the opposite direction, trying to make it to the system's less populated worlds. There they would hole up, relying on the transponders to lead an Imperial recovery team to their location for rescue. But the number who would actually make it back to the Empire was minimal. Besides, Jace thought, Theron might be on one of them. He glanced over at Satil and saw that her eyes were staring off into the distance at nothing in particular. He recognized the look. She was reaching out with the Force to try to find Theron and Nostaral. Are they out there? I don't know, she said at last, bowing her head in defeat. The dark side energies of the spear make it difficult to see. Perhaps if we had a special bond. 
she trailed off. Don't worry, Tepid said. They're on stuff. Just better remember to pay us when it's over. Despite her seemingly cavalier attitude, even Jace could tell she was as troubled as the rest of them. Theron had left his slicer spike behind in the control console of Karen's inner sanctum. At the time, retrieving it had taken a back seat to avoiding getting chopped in half by her flying lightsaber. Without it, however, he was unable to slice into the turbo lift to try to restart it. Forced to rely on cruder methods, he kicked the wall twice, and a deep groan came up from the shaft below. Or maybe now it was above. Slowly, the lift started moving again. I'm surprised that worked. Me and this ship have a bit of history now, Theron said with a wink. When they reached D-Deck, the lift doors opened several centimeters, then stopped. Theron kicked the wall again, but nothing happened. Can you, uh, you know? Theron asked his companion, twiddling his fingers in the air. Using the Force is more taxing than you think. Grab on. Nostaral took hold of the edge of one of the doors, Theron the other. Grunting and straining, they managed to make enough room to squeeze through. The corridor beyond was dark. Even the emergency lighting had failed. As they climbed out onto the floor, what had been the ceiling before the spear capsized, the Jedi ignited his green blade to light their way. The ship shuddered again, and they heard a deep boom, distinctively different from the sound of the explosions caused by the Republic bombardment. Engine room, Theron said. Cooling systems must have shut down. He knew Nostaral didn't need him to explain what would happen when the hypermatter containment unit overheated. The resulting explosion would vaporize the entire ship. Scrambling down the hall, they reached the escape pod base. Empty, Theron muttered as they passed the first bay. Empty, empty, empty. Ah, there it is. Karen's private escape pod, Theron said with a smile. Figured nobody would be dumb enough to grab it. They piled in as the ship began to shake even more violently than before. Theron slammed the button to seal the pod doors, and Nostaral punched the controls to jettison them out into space. Theron looked back at the dying spear through the rear viewport as they floated away. The ship erupted in a fireworks display of explosions, each one seemingly brighter and larger than the last. And then, the vessel was consumed in a brilliant white flash. Punctuated by the rapidly expanding ring of glowing energy that characterized a massive hypermatter explosion. An oppressive silence hovered over the bridge of the Aegis. The sound of fingers tapping at control consoles and the soft electronic beeps from the workstations only emphasized the complete lack of conversation. It's been too long. Chase thought. Nobody on board could have survived that last explosion. He glanced over at Satil, but she didn't return his gaze. She was standing with her eyes closed, and her hands clasped in front of her chest. Jace had no way of knowing if she was still trying to use the Force to find Theron, or if she was just trying to hold herself together. Signal coming in from one of the escape pods, sir! The crewman's voice shattered the silence. Startled, Jace let out a breath he didn't even know he was holding. Patch it through, the Supreme Commander ordered, his heart pounding with a mixture of hope and dread. Hey, Aegis! Theron's voice came over the speaker. Any chance me and my Jedi friend here can hitch a ride? 
Five minutes later, Jace, Satil, and Tefet were down in the docking bay, along with another 20 members of the Aegis crew, as the escape pod door popped open. Master Nostaral came out first, followed by Theron. Everyone assembled broke into a round of spontaneous applause and cheers. Jace joined in, slapping his big hands heartily together as an unexpected wave of pride and joy he hadn't felt in years rushed through him. It was all he could do to keep from charging forward and embracing both of the heroes in a fierce bear hug. Welcome back, he said, snapping off a sharp salute instead. Looks like everyone showed up to say hi, Theron said, his eyes shifting from the crowd to Jace, to Tefet, and finally to Satil. And I do mean everyone. The Republic owes you a debt it can never repay, Satil said. And Jace could tell she was also struggling to stay reserved in front of the rest of the assembled troops. It was the irrepressible Twilik who finally said what they were all thinking, but didn't have the courage to bring up. You know you're both naked, right? Jace tried to project an outward display of authoritarian calm as he sat in the chair behind his desk. But inside, his stomach was churning. This is crazy. You've done a million debriefs. This is no different. But it was different, simply because of who was involved. Satil and Master Nostaral were already there, seated in two of the four chairs that had been set up on the other side of Jace's desk. The other two seats were empty, reserved for the director and, of course, Theron. Three days had passed since the victory at Duro. In that time, Jace hadn't spoke to either Satil or Theron, apart from a few words as he presented Theron, Nostaral, and Tefeth with the Cross of Glory, the Republic's highest honor, at a semi-private ceremony attended by several dozen dignitaries and officials. From the other side of the door, he heard his receptionist's cheerful, high-pitched laugh. A few seconds later, the door opened and Marcus stepped in, closing it behind them. Where's Theron? Jace asked. He said he couldn't make it the director said, clearly uncomfortable. He's given me his report. We can contact him after the debrief if we have any follow-up questions. Jace was stunned. Blowing off the debriefing wasn't an official act of insubordination. Technically, Theron answered to the director, not Jace. Marcus could have him ordered to come, of course, but that would have been entirely counterproductive. Still, Jace had been hoping to see him. Okay, then he said, covering his disappointment with gruff professionalism. Let's begin. The debrief didn't take nearly as long as Jace would have expected for an assignment of this nature and complexity. He could have blustered about how the entire mission was put in jeopardy because Theron and Nostaral failed to follow orders, but it would have been just for show. Everyone in the room knew the truth, and Jace trusted Satil and Marcus to know best how to handle their people going forward. Instead, they stuck to facts and analysis, and the whole thing was over in less than an hour. As everyone rose to leave, Jace said, Grandmaster Satil, can you stay a moment? Nostaral and the director left quickly, closing the door behind them without being asked. You aren't the only one who was hoping Theron would be here, Satil said once they were alone. Is it that obvious? he asked coming out from behind his desk to try to pace out some of his frustration. It is to me, Satil said, standing motionless as she watched him go back and forth. 
but I can understand why he wouldn't be in the mood for a family reunion. Do you think he still blames me? You did the right thing. You brought the fleet to Duro. Does that make up for letting the Empire attack Ruan? We can't always fix our mistakes, she told him. We can only learn from them. Jace frowned. As usual, he didn't find the typical Jedi wisdom particularly helpful. He stopped pacing and turned to Satil, standing right in front of her. How do I make this right? Satil shook her head. You know him as well as I do. That's the problem, he said. I want to get to know him better. Then wait for him to come to you, she said. That doesn't seem to be working too well for you, Jace pointed out. The circumstances of your relationship with our son are different from mine, Satil noted, and Jace sensed a deep regret behind her words. Don't you ever want to go and talk to him? There are a lot of things we want that we cannot have, she answered, her expression unreadable. It's the burden of leadership. She reached out and placed a tender hand on his shoulder. She left it there for a long moment, then pulled away and turned to go. Goodbye, Supreme Commander. Goodbye, Grandmaster, he replied. When she was gone, he sat down at his desk and fired up his workstation, determined to lose himself in the endless mountain of reports that always seemed to need his attention. To his surprise, he saw there was a private hollow recording waiting for him. Sorry I missed the debrief, Commander, Theron said to him when he opened the message. Something I needed to take care of. But maybe later we can go get that drink we talked about. Give us a chance to just... Uh, I don't know. Uh, talk, I guess. Jace flicked off the message as it ended, with a small, contented smile. Hidden in the shadows in the back corner of Tefeth's hotel room, Theron watched the Twilik pack, listening with amusement to her grumbling complaints as she rummaged through the room in search of anything worth stealing. Stupid Republic gives us a stupid metal. Can't spend metal. Not even worth it to melt down. Looking for something? He asked, stepping into view. As if by magic, her blaster suddenly appeared in her hand. How'd you get in? Believe it or not, these high-class hotels don't actually have great security. Tefeth lowered her blaster, but shot him a dirty look. Never paid us, she accused. Got your credits right here, Theron said, pointing to a bag in the corner where he'd been standing. Actual credits? Not a Republic chip? Ten thousand actual credits. I didn't think a Republic credit chip would have much value where you're going. Ten thousands? She protested. What's about credits Gorvich stole from us? That's between you and him, Theron said with a shrug. No, we couldn't trust you, Tefeth said with a scowl as she went over and picked up the bag. I might be able to come up with a couple thousand more if you stick around, he offered. Not staying, she said, dumping the credits onto the hotel room bed so she could count them. Hate it here. Too shiny. I know what you mean, Theron thought. Out loud, he asked. So what's your plan? Don't know. 
figure it out. Can't go back to old T and Brotherhood thanks to you. I bet the director could find a position for you with SIS as a field agent. Pass, she said, scooping up the credits and stuffing them back into the bag. Not interested in filing reports for a boss behind a desk. We only work for ourselves. She slung the bag over her shoulder and headed toward the door. Before leaving, she turned back to Theron. No more spying on us, she said, waggling a finger in his direction. Don't need you watching over our shoulder like Big Brother. Theron watched her go, not saying anything until the door had closed behind her. You might not need me watching over your shoulder, but I'll be there anyway, he bowed softly. That's what family does. Blast me with a blaster and call me Zero the Hut. What a conclusion, right? It was like riding a speeder bike blindfolding, dodging trees and, well, hopes. Yeah, the kind of hope that is so thick and tasty, you would think it was bantha milk pudding. We are serving plot twists on a silver platter. And by the force, it was a feast for the soul. But wait, intergalactic listeners, put down your imaginary spoons because we're not done yet. There's one more quote coming up to cherry on our Star Wars Sunday. Prepare your ears because this gem is brought to you by George Elliott. He said, it's never too late to be what you might have been. Let's break it down and soak up this incredible wisdom. This quote is like a spark of cosmic energy that reminds us that no matter where we are in life, no matter our age or circumstance, we always have the power to become the person we have always dreamed of being. It is a powerful reminder that our potential knows no limits and there's no expiration date on our dreams. It's never too late to reinvent yourself and pursue your passions. Whether you've had a change of heart, discovered a new interest, or always had this burning desire within you, seize the opportunity to embrace second chances. Don't let age or time hold you back from exploring the possibilities that await you. Take a moment to reflect on who you truly want to be. Connect with your deepest desires, values, and aspirations. Allow yourself the freedom to dream big and envision the life that you've always imagined. Remember, it's never too late to align your actions with your authentic self. Take hold of this empowering concept and let it guide you toward fulfilling your dreams and become the best version of yourself. Trust in your potential, unleash your inner greatness, and remember, the time to step into your true potential is always right now. And I think that's all I have for this episode. Oh, FYI, there won't be a giveaway this time around. We're going to be doing the giveaway after every other season. That way we have more time to come up with the best prizes and give everybody the opportunity to get them emails in or sign up and support the show. Now that's all I got for this episode. Join us next time as we start season 11 with the High Republic. Yes, you heard that right. We're going all out with the High Republic stories. Trust me, you won't want to miss this epic tale. And that starts next week. So until then, may the Force be with you, always. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and was distributed by Sway Cast Network. Star Wars The Old Republic Annihilation was read to you by Jason Odega. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.